If someone were to ask you, why do you read the Bible? Why do you listen to and love or want to obey the Bible? If someone were to ask us that, I'm sure there's a handful of good and right answers that we all could give. For example, we could say that we follow the Bible as God's people because it's God's word and God speaks in the Bible. Or we might say that the Bible is where God explains to us how he really loves us. Or we could rightly say that we follow Jesus and we learn about Jesus in the Bible. Or we could say that the Bible being God's word shows us what's right compared to wrong or good compared to evil. Or finally, we could say that the Bible shows us right the way to eternal life. And more could be said, and all of those are good and right reasons, and they should stir us to want to read God's word more. But that passage that we just read this morning is helpful because here what we're going to see is there's another primary reason for why we read and love God's word. And it's a reason that I think we don't think about as much. And what is it? Well, you can see it in the first line of our passage in verse 129. The psalmist says, quote, your testimonies are wonderful. Wonderful. Meaning God doesn't just speak what's true, nor does he just give right commandments, nor do we only believe the Bible because God said it and so we believe it. And now, yes, again, that is all absolutely true. But also, another reason, church, for why we read and love and want to follow this book is because everything that God has testified to in this book, meaning everything the Bible tells us about us, about God, about this world, about the, the storyline of history and where we fit in and about what Christ has done and the good news that we're okay and loved in him alone and, and all of that, all of that is wonderful, wonderful, meaning stunning, captivating. It should cause us to feel amazement. And, and the point is, it's from realizing that, that as the psalmist says here, that we want to keep God's word. And also, as we're in this short series on Bible reading and prayer in 2023, it's also from realizing that that we'll want to read God's word more in the upcoming year. And so in brief, that is what we'll be talking about this morning. But all of that said, that then brings us to our roadmap of how we'll go through this passage together. So we're in Psalm 119, which, as you might know, is the longest chapter in the whole Bible by a long shot. It's a chapter which takes up a whopping 176 verses. And it's interesting because being near the center of the Bible and being the longest chapter in the Bible, can you guess what it's all about? Well, the Bible. God's Word. It's big because it's actually a large poem which has a stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of those stanzas is uniquely looking at and praising God for His Word. And so this morning we'll be in just one of those stanzas in Psalm 119, verses 20, 129 through 136. In order to cover what we're going to see here in this stanza, we're going to have three sections together asking three questions. Three questions to guide us. And as for what they are, first, we, we already alluded to this, but first we will simply then revisit the question of why do we read and love and follow God's word? And again, we already alluded to the answer to that here. We follow God's word because it's wonderful but we'll look more into what that actually means. And so that'll be our first question, and that'll be verses 129 to 131. 
And then second, following that, we'll then ask, and how does loving God's word impact our relationship with God? And for that, we'll be in verses 132 to 135, which then third and finally will lead us to end by asking, and how does loving the word of God impact how we view others who don't love the Lord? And that will be our final verse, 136. And so in summary, three questions to guide us through this passage. Why we love the Bible, how it impacts our relationship with God, and how it impacts how we view those who don't know the Lord. And in it all, my prayer for all of us here at church is that we may taste the beauty of God's word here more together as, as Jesus himself loved this book because it is God's word. But not only that, but again, my prayer is that through everything we see here together this morning, God may stir us to be people who not only believe this book, but more and more love it and want to follow what it says, especially in 2023. But all that said, church, let's then begin our first section here again, verses 129, 131. And we're asking, why do we read and love and follow God's word? And for this, we'll actually just start in verse 129 here again. So briefly, we already looked at this, but go ahead and look down there again. Psalm 119, verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. So as we said, this should be a reason for listening to and following God's word because it's wonderful, stunning, awe-producing, amazing. But, but, but what really does that mean? Well, here's where it gets really interesting because that Hebrew word there for wonderful is a word that actually isn't used too many times in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is huge and it's only used 13 times in the whole Old Testament. And the best translation of it is the word wonderful and that's why basically all the major English translations use the word wonderful. And so this is a good translation. It means wonderful, but more significant than what it means in English is how this word was used in the Old Testament. And how was it? Well, in the Old Testament, this is a word that's most often used to talk about God's miracles. God's miracles. Particularly, it's a word that was used to describe God's most famous miracles of the plagues and the deliverance from Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea. And you can hear this, for example, in Exodus 15, verse 11, because Exodus 15 is the chapter right after the crossing of the Red Sea. And Moses, uh, talking about what just, just had happened, he says this, quote, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so what are the wonders in Exodus 15, which is the same root word as the word wonderful? Well, they're the miracles God performed. The majestic changing in nature that really happened in history in the ten plagues and when he split the Red Sea. And so that's this word in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, the same concept of wonders, talking about miracles, occurs in the New Testament as well because you might know in the book of Acts, right? When Luke is recounting what the miracles that happened in the early church to confirm the gospel, he often describes them as, quote, signs and wonders. And now more could be said, but in brief then, in the Bible, wonders or wonderful things often referred to miracles. Miracles, right? God's wonders, and why is that then significant in Psalm 119? Why does that matter for us? Well, you're probably getting it. It's significant because that means that's then the word that the psalmist decided to use to describe the word of God. 
He's saying that God's word, this book, is wonderful, miraculous. And specifically, he's, he's taking up the Hebrew word that at the time was used for the big miracles of God, like the crossing of the Red Sea with God departing those actual seas and letting his people pass through on dry land. I mean, we can imagine what it would be like just to see that. But the psalmist is taking up the word that described miracles like that and then he's thinking of God's word and he's saying, this is like that. This book is wonderful. And the point is, if we really believe that, can you imagine how that would change and impact how we approached this book? And so that's what the psalmist is saying in the first half of this verse, which now that we're feeling along, if you will, with the psalmist, you can see how this makes sense of the second half just of the first verse. Look down again. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. So remember, our first question we're asking is, why, church, why do we read and love and want to follow God's word? And now you can see that's actually the issue the psalmist in a way is talking about. Because he says, God's word is wonderful, Therefore, because of that, my soul keeps them. And that logic, if you will, is really important to notice and to apply to our lives. Because if we as Christians just immediately go to thinking, I should read the Bible more, I should obey the Bible more, meaning if we primarily see this as just a duty, or, or better yet, meaning if we essentially skip past the psalmist's first line and just jump to the second half about keeping God's word, if we do that, then I hope you see, we'll be missing how all this is supposed to work. And not only that, but honestly, if we just read the Bible merely or mainly out of duty, then it isn't really loving God's word and it won't last either. And really, this is true about anything in life, right? Because if we personally don't have a good, deep conviction concerning why we do something, then whatever we're doing usually doesn't last. Right? If it isn't genuine, if it isn't heartfelt, and we're not forced to do it, then whatever it is, it, it won't usually last. And I know, again, there are times where there's, there's a place for duty, but, but overall, how we work as human beings made in God's image is that if we do something and it isn't something that we internally feel we have a good reason for, if it isn't genuine in our hearts, then it won't really be a part of our lives and last. But that's why the psalmist's first line here is about the Bible itself. Your testimonies are wonderful. That's step one. And then, and only then, and because of that, does he then talk about wanting to keep God's word, which would involve reading God's word. And, and therefore, bringing that to you and me then, that, I hope you know that's still the case today. That's how it works. And I, and I hope you don't just feel that, but I, or know that, but I hope you feel it this morning too. And this book is wonderful because, because the truth is there is no other book in the world like this. I hope you know that there isn't. I mean, just read, for example, the other religious texts of other religions. I encourage you to just go ahead and check them out. They're, they're nothing like this. They're, they're, they're about morality. They're about maybe trying to be good enough for God or make big lofty statements about God. But often, that's about it. Or on the other hand, read the philosophers or so a lot of modern books. They're often incredibly intelligent. But nothing offers a cohesive, true, hopeful way of viewing ourselves, God, and all of reality. Right? But in comparison to that, then we come to the Bible. 
And we see this long storyline of history that really does make sense. We, think, we see things that would surprise us, like the fact that the major characters in the Bible aren't usually these unattainable heroes, but they're sinners like us. We see that the living God is so different than we as human beings are prone to think of him as he is all-powerful, but he's also totally good. We see this really complex story in the Old Testament that really is perfectly fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, who amazingly himself is God and man. We see this best news in the world of being saved by grace through faith alone. We see these incredible promises of God for us as people. And we see what's to come in the future for us and for the whole universe. And the point is, again, we should see all of that, what the Bible teaches, and really start to feel, wow, this is wonderful. This is no mere human book. And again, then, once we start to feel that, and only then does the therefore happen. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. And that means, church, practically for you and I, if we want to read the Bible more, which basically all Christians do, which is interesting in itself, because that does mean that God himself puts a desire in his people to want to hear from him. <laughs> but again, if, if, that, if you're here and you want to read the Bible more, then this means first We all need to really consider and feel more about how this book in itself is wonderful. And then the more you start to believe that, the more we believe that as a church, the more we'll want to keep what God says here, the more we'll want to read and love and follow the word of God. And so that's this opening verse here. And to be clear, we won't be spending that much time on all of these verses. But that leads us now to move on to the next verses. And, and here we'll continue, to, or we'll continue still asking that first why question. And so far, so we've seen we read God's word because it's wonderful. But why else? And why does, what does that even mean? Well, the psalmist continues now just verse 130. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So now this verse actually is really helpful because so God's word is wonderful and that's why we read it and love it and follow it. That's what we've been saying. But you might be sitting there thinking, but how do I see that wonder for myself? And if you're wondering that, that is a great question because maybe you know you should see the wonder in the Bible, but honestly, you usually don't. And so how do you personally see the wonder, the miracle? Well, notice very simply what the psalmist says. He says, quote, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And that's really helpful that that's the next line. Because while the word wonderful can seem so lofty and unattainable, the word unfold here isn't that complicated. Because it means to unfold, to open, or most literally it actually means to enter in, like through a door. And so how then do we practically see the wonder of the Bible? Well, on our part, we open God's word. We unfold it. We enter into what it says. We see what God actually says. And this then connects to the idea of wonder because if you think of it this way, it is true that the Bible is objectively wonderful. God's word in itself is a miracle. The content of this book is amazing. And that's true, honestly, whether you and I personally believe that or not. Objectively wonderful. But the question then becomes, But how do I make this objective wonderfulness personal to myself? How do I make this objective wonder collide with my personal experience? Well, we spend time in the Bible. 
We unfold it. We enter in. We hear from God. Now, of course, we might not understand. We won't understand everything in it. It may be confusing to us in many ways, and we might have a lot of questions, and that's okay. But the way to see the wonder is to open the book and to listen to the Lord in its pages. Or to use an analogy, just like we wouldn't subjectively experience the wonder, say, of a sunrise on a beach unless we actually decided to wake up and go to the beach early in the morning and look at the sunrise. So the point is, brothers and sisters, we won't personally know and feel the wonder and miracle and light and understanding of God's word unless we really open it. It's simple, but unless we unfold it, we enter into the pages and spend time in what God has said. Which finally, though, leads to the last verse on this first section, just verse 131. Look down at your Bibles. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. So now this verse is actually a really fitting way to end just this first few verses of this stanza. And I love this. And this is a good example of honestly why we here at ECC do what we call expository preaching, where we go verse by verse and try to go slowly through God's word. Because think about it. If we only read verse 131 by itself, or if we didn't go slowly through verses 129 and 131st, then this verse 131 that we just read maybe could have just sounded like some typical religious emotionalism. And you probably know what I mean. You know probably know what I'm talking about. We've all maybe talked to people who talk this big emotional religious game, but it doesn't seem legit. Right? It's a, it, it can almost come off fake because they can make big, lofty, emotional statements but without showing much reason for or much reality of it in their lives. And so the point is, if we only had verse 131 alone, maybe we could feel that way about what the psalmist is saying here, especially because he uses that weird language of panting for God's word. But instead of that, in fact, after reading verses 129 and 130 slowly, Think about it. What the psalmist now says here, yes, in a poetic way, but what he's saying here in verse 131 actually makes a lot of sense. Because sure, you might be thinking, I mean, who really pants for the Bible? <laughs> or you, you might have come here this morning thinking, sure, I know the Bible's good and I should read it more, but really, is it worthy panting over? But remember everything we've said. Remember everything the psalmist has said. Because think about it. If you really believed the Bible was full of wonder, meaning that this book and its contents are a miracle in our hands, similar to the miracle of when God and history parted the Red Sea, and if you really believed that opening this book gave you experiential light and understanding to those of us who all of us were lost and we need help all the time, I mean, if you really believed those things, like you believe in basic truths, like you're sitting there right now and I'm standing here right now, meaning if you really believe that to be the case about this book, like Jesus did, and you believe that deep in your bones, then guess what would happen? Well, all that being true, the only logical and emotional response would be, man, then I really need to hear from this book. I want to hear from this book. I want to study and know and follow this book. And really, if you boil it down, that's what the psalmist is getting to in verse 131. He's already said it. He really believes this book is wonderful. He's not just saying that. 
He's really experienced himself. The, the unfolding of God's words brings light and understanding. And therefore, he wants more of God's word. And the point is, so should we. And really, the point is not just should we, but actually, the bigger point actually is, so will we. Meaning, and this is the challenge for all of us, especially in our super distracted age that we live in, the challenge is for all of us to basically see God's word for what it actually is. Because the more we uphold this book like Jesus did and we see that it's a miracle and the more we believe that we're dark and confused on our own but this book brings light, then the point is the more that happens, we will go to the book more. Just like if we were physically in actual darkness and lost and didn't know where we were and we needed light and yet we knew that we had a flashlight in our hands, an amazing, wonderful, miraculous flashlight. So we just naturally turn the flashlight on. And, and so it is here. We have God's miraculous, wonderful, glorious light in his word. And so the more we see that we actually need that, that we want that, that that's a way to happiness, the more we will read it. And now to be clear, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do something like read through the Bible in a whole year, like Lord willing, we are planning to do here at ECC with our Bible reading plan. Although I do encourage you to try that as we'd love for you to join us. But it doesn't necessarily mean you'll do that because there's many ways to get into this book. But still, all of that does mean that God's people are people who want to hear from him, who want to read God's word. And again, not mainly because we have to, but because God speaks here. Because we really understand what this book is. So that's our first and longest section, church. But that now leads us to continue on in the psalm and to our second section. Now we're just going to be in verses 132 to 135. And here again we're asking, second, and how does the word of God impact our relationship with God? Our relationship with God. And for this section we're actually just going to read all four of these verses now at once. And then we'll come back and we'll quickly talk about what they're saying. So look at your Bibles and as you hear this, just notice how the psalmist talks about his relationship with God. Verses 132-135. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. And so we'll end there. So after hearing that, how does the word of God impact the psalmist and, and our relationship with God? Well, overall, just notice the basic structure of all of those verses because each one, as you might have noticed, essentially is a prayer. A prayer. And overall, their prayer is asking God for him to help the psalmist follow God and obey God and know God more. Because quickly look at each of these verses. Verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. And so he's essentially saying, turn more to me, Lord, and help me because I love you. Right? And then the next line, verse 133, he says, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get over me, get dominion over me. Meaning, I know, Lord, you've promised me so much and so help me walk steadily with you. Help me not to fall into sin. Then in verse 134, it's interesting because the psalmist there starts with, redeem me from man's oppression. But why? 
Well, it's interesting. It's not just because he wants deliverance from the oppression, but instead the psalmist says, redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. In other words, he loves God and wants to follow God. And if people are hindering him from doing that, then he asks God for help. Which finally leads to verse 135 where he just focuses more on God himself. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Meaning he wants to follow God and he wants God's smile and favor above all else. Which, brothers and sisters, we now have in Christ. And so that, kind of quickly, but that's these verses here. And so back to our question of, well, how then does the word of God impact our relationship with God? You can see when we start to hear more from God's word, meaning as we saw in the first three verses when we're people who see God's word as wonderful and love God's word and hear from him more, then it makes sense. We become more God-centered and God-loving and obedient, prayerful people. And so that's the flow of this passage. We see God's word as a miracle, giving us light, and because of that, we hear from him, we go to the Bible, and therefore, of course, our relationship with the living God is strengthened. And quickly, that obviously applies to you and me, because just like many of us here might be here this morning and and want to read God's word more, so also I bet most of us here want a stronger relationship with God. Right? More heartfelt, experienced, real relationship with the living God. And, and the takeaway from this section is that the Bible is saying here those two things, reading God's word and having a stronger relationship with God, are clearly intertwined. <laughs> intertwined. Because as those saved by Jesus, we are secure now and forever in Him alone. We need to know that. That's true, but how then do we personally experience and strengthen our felt relationship with God, with Jesus? How do we develop what theologians for thousands of years have called our communion with God? Well, it definitely isn't by ignoring God's word mainly in your life and just trying to muster good feelings of God on your own. And I say that because people try that. But then what often happens is then they're not really having a relationship with the living God, but usually they just are having a relationship with their own thoughts of God. And so that's not it. Instead, we build a stronger relationship with God by listening to him, (laughs) by listening to Jesus who saved us and speaks in God's word. Which finally then leads us to our third and last section this morning. And for this, we're just in that final verse 136. And now here, the final question we're asking is, and how does the word of God impact how we view those who do not know God? And we ask this because it's interesting. The psalmist so far has talked a lot about his personal relationship with the Lord. But now in this final verse, it's its own section for us here this morning because now the psalmist in a way looks outward. He looks towards those who he knows don't love God and don't follow this God, and especially who don't love and follow God's word. And what he feels is maybe surprising to us. Because before we read the verse, just think about how if if you and I here were writing this psalm, think about how we, if we all of a sudden started thinking about others, and we started thinking about others who didn't love God and his word, think about how we would be prone to maybe react. Because we love the word. We see it as wonderful. We want to love God and follow his word. And yet there are so many people in our world who we know do not love God, do not want to follow God's word. And so again, knowing that, if we were writing this, imagine how we maybe would respond. Because that being the case, 
For us, maybe perhaps we'd be tempted to write and express frustration toward them. Right? Express anger toward them. And I say that because this is really sadly getting quite common of a response today, especially and often with Christians and how we interact with people who are in our families or friend groups or in politics or in social media. Right? Because what can often happen is the Christian knows that the Bible is right and good and wonderful. And so therefore, when, when we notice that other people don't see that or when they mock the Bible, the Christian can all of a sudden get angry. And often, usually, sinfully angry. But that is not how the psalmist responds here. Or perhaps another reaction we might have to those who don't know God and don't love the Bible is more just a basic pride. Maybe that's your temptation because that's really common too. And we know that was common, for example, in Jesus' day with the Pharisees and how they reacted to the tax collectors and sinners. And this can happen because, again, we see the Bible as wonderful as it is and so we want to love it and read it and follow it, but others don't. And so what can happen? Well, it can start to produce in us this feeling of that means I'm better than them. Even though we know in the gospel that is not true, we can all of a sudden be sinfully prideful like that. That's not how the psalmist responds. Or finally, we could respond to others who don't believe the Bible, who don't follow the Bible with just a basic apathy or whatever. And this is kind of common maybe for some of us as well because, again, we love the Bible, we want to follow it, and others don't. And so maybe, though, we just respond with a shrug of the shoulder saying, whatever, can't do anything about it, and just move on. But finally, that is also not how the psalmist responds. Instead, how does the psalmist respond when he thinks of those who now don't love God's word and don't follow it? When he thinks of those who don't see God's word as wonderful? Well, finally, look now at our last verse. Psalm 136. Psalm 119, verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So how does he respond? Streams of tears. A sorrowful heart with compassion. In short, he's oh so wishing they saw the wonder as well. That they knew this God and wanted to keep his word. And now to be clear, yes, he's saying he's shedding streams of tears. And, and just like his panting language, this is probably somewhat poetic. But still it means and it represents something real. Because what it means is he looks at those who do not know God's word and primarily he feels sorrow in his heart. He, he doesn't primarily have a feeling of anger here, nor does he feel pride. Instead, it's love. It's love. And on, and on this, as you might know, tears of love like this, because people don't know Jesus and don't follow the God who made them and loved them, such tears like this actually aren't unique to the psalmist in the Bible. Because as you might know, this happens many times with the prophets in the Old Testament. It happens sometimes with the apostles in the New Testament. But even more so, above all, remember, it was Jesus himself who, as you might know, in Luke 19, when the people of Jerusalem rejected him, rejected him who is the word of God in flesh. How did he respond? Luke writes, quote, And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. 
In other words, they, they didn't see that he was the answer. They didn't see that he was what they needed, that he was the way to true and lasting peace. And so he wept out of love. And the point for us this morning then is that's how the psalmist ends the stanza here and that's how we should respond to those who don't love God's word as well. Now, to be clear, again, we need to be so careful of pride in this because we don't feel tears for them with any sense of superiority. Because again, I hope you know the gospel of Jesus shows us that we are all equal sinners, created and loved by God and broken. And so as we, we as Christians who do love God's word, we are no better in ourselves than anyone else. That's why all is grace. By grace you have been saved. And so we don't shed streams of tears while subtly thinking, I wish they knew this and were so awesome like I am. Instead, the point is, if we really believe the Bible's a miracle, if we really believe that God is real and he actually speaks in this book, which he does, and if we've seen the beautiful light and understanding it brings, especially as it reveals to us Jesus and how we're okay and saved by merely trusting what Jesus did in the gospel, if all that's true, which it is, then toward others, especially toward our world and our culture and our coworkers and people in our families or online who don't see those things, if we believe that, then our first and main reaction toward them would not be frustration. <laughs> that, that's honestly usually just more pride in missing the point. Instead, our main response, like the psalmist, like Jesus, is, is compassion. It's not to compromise, but it's also to have genuine compassion and love. And, and bring this full circle in the stanza, if you will. The truth also is the more we love God's word, then the more this will happen. The more that we'll feel God's love for God's world as well. And so that's our passage, church. We ask three questions of God's word. First, why do we read and love and follow the Bible? Because it's wonderful. It gives light and understanding, so we pant for it. We want to read it. Second, how does our love for God's word impact our relationship with God? Well, hearing from God makes us want to love him more and makes us Love him and pray to him more, which makes sense. And third and finally, how does loving the Bible impact how we view others who don't know this God? Well, in short, again, we love them. And we want them to know this God, this Jesus, this gospel of what Jesus did for us. And so again, that's our passage, which means finally then, for us here in this church and for 2023, I do just pray, and I have been praying, that after seeing what the psalmist said here, that does make each of us people who simply want to pick up and read this book more in 2023. Because don't we want to be more of what we just saw in that example there? And again, in order for that to happen, we would love you to join the Bible reading plan if you'd like. There's some out there, there's a sign up, even if you want to take one and not sign up. Because it is a good thing to have a plan to read God's word and to do it with others. And so we already have a handful of people who have signed up. And so if you're interested in that, even if you think you might get behind or back out, still we'd love for you to sign up. But again, overall, exactly how each of us reads God's word isn't the main issue. Instead, the goal for all of us, the privilege for all of us, is just to become people who, whatever it takes, read the Bible more. And so let's be that ECC. We already are in many ways by God's grace, but let's be a church so about God's word. And that means practically, let's actually read God's word in our practical lives. Let's read God's word with our friends and families. Let's, let's actually read God's word on our phones 
You know, sometimes instead of scrolling an app like Instagram or whatever, maybe we just open up our Bible apps. <laughs> Let's actually listen to God's word. We have many ways of doing that. Free audio Bibles all over the place. Let's listen to God's word when we're driving in our cars or doing the dishes or anything else. All because one last time we have a miracle in our hands. <laughs> we have a miracle on our phones now. We have a miracle we can listen to with our ears. And yet, so often we don't. We're that naive and distracted, and honestly, we're that, honestly, just confused as to what will make us happy and what will give us peace. And so instead, more than maybe ever before in this upcoming year in 2023, let's each make it a thing to unfold this book more because it really is wonderful. Amen? Now let's pray.